Hey guys, welcome to True Knows Talk. Jeff here. I don't know if y'all have heard of Anchor, but it's ran by Spotify now. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one app or on your desktop. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone and computer. And really, I mean, when hosting on Anchor, you you mean you can distribute your podcast on many platforms. Spotify, Apple, I mean, there's just tons of them, more than I have time to really explain. But the best part about it, really, everything you need is in one place, and it's free. So, guys, go to your app store, download the Anchor FM app, or go online and just put it on your desktop if you got a laptop. Now, I know Chip and Hunter, just like I am, we're ready to kick this thing off. So, y'all can give us the countdown, and we'll see y'all when the show starts. Edition of True Dolls Talk. As always, you know, I'm Jeff, along with my right hand man, Hunter Richmond. I mean, yeah. You know, after taking the first game in Gainesville last month, the Lady Knowles looked to uh, secure the second win against their rivals, Florida Gators, which ain't happened, I think, since 2006. Um, you know, it, it showed a matchup of, uh, you know, Cat, Sander Cox, you know, entered the game uh, yesterday with a record of 25 and 1 on the season and had an ERA of 1.47, and she went up against a very, um, a very tough um, Elizabeth Hightower, who was 12 and seven on the season with a 2.51 ERA. And all I can say is, you know, the matchup didn't disappoint. Um, but you know, I've heard, you know, the stats don't—they don't matter. Um, all you need to do is be there and watch, and you'll learn all you need to know. So, with that being said, Hunter. You're at every home game and kind of the softball expert, you know, out of the two of us. So uh, what was your take on the game last night, and do you still have your voice? Yeah, actually, believe it or not, I uh, I do. I recovered last night after uh, an umpire who seemed to wear blue for a reason, honestly, Jeff, but it, I digress either way. You know, last night the number three Florida State Seminoles are 46-5 and five on the season now. 
you know, we walked off uh, number 11, Florida, who's 38 and 14 now, two to one after Janiah Kerr hit a solo home run to center field. Uh, you know, this game was played in front of the fifth largest crowd in Seminole softball complex history. 1,764 people were there. And with this win, FSU finished a regular season with the perfect 30-0 and out-of-conference record. You know, the Knowles also earned a sweep over the UF uh, Gators, which, like you mentioned before, is the first time since 2006. <clears throat> you know, Florida jumped out to early 1-0 lead after a, a ground out to second, and Florida State came back, tied it up in the bottom of the third inning after Kaylee Mudge singled to right field, and then three pitches later, Sydney Sherrill does what she does best, and she hit her 78th career double to score Mudge, and that's her uh, 200th career RBI. And then, of course, in dramatic fashion, like the Knowles do, we walked the Gators off with a solo home run to center field by Janai Kerr. Excuse me. Uh, this was the fifth of the season for her, and this is Florida State's fifth walk-off of the season. Uh, Kat Sandercock started the game off for the Seminoles, and she pitched a complete game with less than 100 pitches, and she allowed us one run on two hits with four strikeouts. So, you know, I, I was in the stands whenever Florida's bats and everything seemed to get a little bit hot, and uh, they got that one run in. And I thought to myself, all right, Kat, that's your one. And that was her only one. So it was a great game to be at. It was an absolutely electric atmosphere. And, you know, cheering them on this weekend against NC State and then in the ACC tournament. But I'm really looking forward to the postseasons where we inevitably will host at least regionals. So I'm looking forward to going to that. So, Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, is it just me or is Kat the softball version of Parker Messick or – kind of is it is it vice versa is it you know is it parker's the baseball version of cat you know what do you i mean what's your mindset on that one well you know i kind of hit on that tuesday i said it seems to me like you know parker he's our baseball ace and then well cat she's she's one of our two aces i mean you know danielle watson she's sort of had her ups and downs this season but i, I feel like the down is over for her and she's on her way back up. So I'm really confident in our pitching staff going into the postseason, especially whenever you have other players like, you know, Emma Watson and, and Mac Leonard and even Brianna Enter who've seen game time. So, but back to your point, I, I really think that Kat is the Parker of the softball team. I really do. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, the main thing, when, you know, was the walk-off home run, you know, and I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I kind of want to see it again. Sure, let's see. Yeah. So, I mean, just so happy, you know, we do have video of it. So, here it is for all the viewing audience to watch and uh, enjoy. Kerr swings at the 2-0 and lifts it to right center field, and it is gone! Eight straight wins for Florida State. Janai Kerr, the hero this night for Florida State. <laughs> Florida just play in a close game. They know how to win a close game. 2-0 count. Janai Kerr is seeing a pitch that is up in the zone. She's looking to hit. Hitters count. Hitting with leverage. Squares us up on time. Let's it travel deep. And gives Florida State their third 2-1 win in a row. 
It stings if you're Elizabeth Hightower. She pitched a great game, but this is why you love being the home team. You get that last. Ooh, that was good. Hey, yeah. is that me oh. or did I did I notice a guy that's that does a great podcast and a great live show with me out there in the stands? Yeah, I just noticed that too. I hadn't watched it back yet, but I, I noticed you could see me right there on Main Street. Actually, texting my wife and saying, "I can't believe it. Kerr walked us off." Um, yeah. But you know, I, I watched an interview that, this afternoon with Kerr, and there was they said, "You know, do you remember the last time Florida State swept Florida in a regular season?" She's like, "No." They were like, "When was you born?" She said, "I was born in 2002." So these players on this team. Don't even remember the last time we swept Florida in the season until now. Now they do. So, I mean, there's one thing, you know, this is off topic real quick. While we're recording, I keep getting text messages and alerts and stuff from other things. I just had a bleacher report pop up on my laptop. You know, I think me and you talked a little bit about NIL before and all that, you know, and this ain't, this is just off topic. But Texas just had a running back sign an NIL deal with Lamborghini. I wonder if it'd be like the Florida player and get pulled over doing a hundred and something. Never mind. Probably. But you know, you know, it is happy it is. for him. But, I mean, the money's there. Yeah. Get it. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, we're going to do a show on our thoughts on that later on. Um, but now on to a little uh, a little mini series. Um, that we've been discussing, and really the the, the members didn't really know much about. Um, over the next few weeks, you know, it's going to be a little dead time, a little dead period for us on sports and all that. But so we're going to be um, looking back over the decades, breaking it down decade by decade about the history of Florida State. And um, really, I mean, that's, that's really where it is. So we're just yeah. going to dive into that. Jeff, didn't you ask a question in the group today about uh, what color the FSU uniforms were from 1902 to 1904? Yeah, and actually we had um, a couple of members get it right, and Miss Carroll was one of them. Um, let me pull her comment up on that. Um, uh, Shauna Granger, who's a new member, she uh, became a member, I want to say yesterday or today. She was the first one to get it right. Uh, it was purple and gold. And then Ms. Carroll said they combined the purple with crimson and got the garnet that we know today, which I didn't even know that. But, um, you know, Florida State College is what it was called back then. Instead of FSU as FSC, you know, as the institution was named then, you know, first fielded, you know, intercollegiate football team in 1902. And, you know, for for three seasons, you know, 02, 03, 04, they did wear purple and gold. Um, the nineteen oh four team, after uh, defeating Stetson nineteen to six during the that was awarded the Florida Times Union College Cup and proclaimed the state of Florida's championship team for that year. Um, but. In 1905, you know, Florida legislature converted the school into a woman's only institution. You know, consequently, you know, there was no football at the school for, I want to say it was like 42 years. So, Yeah, and, you know, I, I believe it was House Bill number uh, 361, which was commonly known as the Buckman Act, condensed all state universities into three schools. You had Florida State College in Tallahassee, and it was renamed 
the Florida State College for Women, and we remain in Tallahassee. Um, you had the Florida AM School for Negroes, as it was known in those days, was established, and it was also in Tallahassee. And then you had the University of Florida, and it was moved from Lake City to Gainesville. Um, the schools operated under segregated modes for the next 38 years, but World War II began to make Florida lawmakers rethink their stance on gender segregations. You know, the war created a gender imbalance. Uh, the University of Florida had empty buildings and half-empty classrooms, while S FSCW was experienced overcrowding conditions, and the idea of establishing co-educational institutions first officially came up for debate when the state's Board of Control met in March 1945. Uh, there was ample justification to make such a move, but the board tabled the matter. Yeah. You know, and in 1947, following World War II, Florida State again became, you know, co-educational. It was named, its name was changed to the Florida State University and it immediately resumed participation in intercollegiate football. A team composed mostly of returning military veterans was quickly organized under coach Ed Williamson, and despite losing all five games that had played, had a wonderful season. Yeah, well, just bringing it back to, you know, we mentioned FAMU. Um, did you see the uh, the thing today where we had a transfer tied in, transfer out, he's actually staying in Tallahassee. Uh, it's a gross, I want to say his name was. He's yeah, I've seen in that. Tallahassee. Yeah, he's going to stay at FAMU, still in Tallahassee, but, you know, best of luck to him. Um, but, yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to believe that there was no football, intercollegiate football in Tallahassee, you know, for 42 years. Yeah, you know. boggling Yeah, you know, then Doak Campbell, he dropped a bombshell. Um, three months after Florida State University had been born, President Campbell announced that the school would compete in intercollegiate athletics, including football, and they would be uh, playing that year. Florida immediately protested the announcement, and they demanded that all Florida State University teams be considered junior varsity teams of the University of Florida, which still rings true today. They think that they're better than us, but I digress. Okay. Uh, Campbell scoffed off all the protests and demands, stating that Florida State University was its own entity and would compete as such in both academics and athletics. Um, and the animosity with the Gators was just beginning. And, and still continues today. But, I mean, yeah, they FSU did indeed play, you know, in 1947. And just to think about it, it took the school six weeks to put a team together and, you know, arrange a schedule and all that and, and find a place, you know, to play it. And that first game, you know, it, it would, it, I would have enjoyed it. But, oh, yeah, that would have been very nice to have seen that. Yeah, and actually, you know, speaking of that, I've done a bunch of research as – as me and you have, because, you know, we like to be knowledgeable what we're talking about. Um, and I found some. I found actually a uh, clip of that. But, you know, the question is, you know, who did they play in their first game and where was it played? You know, that all will be answered. We actually got a video. And I'm about to play it here in just a second. It'll be answered right now. So, for all intents and purposes, Florida State football, as we know it, was born under the muted lights of Centennial Field on October 18, 1947, against Stetson University. The team was led onto the field that night by head coach Ed Williamson, who served as the school's unpaid intramural director. The football program offered no scholarships, had no team name no real stadium, and set out to compete with just over a month to prepare for its first ever game. We didn't have any locker rooms. The boys had to dress in them, and then barracks. That was on West Campus. 
and um, they uh, dress there, they wash their own uniforms with the wives washing with the head of wife. And uh, it just wasn't anything like a happy day. Our pants were made out of that hard canvas. Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, it was real. And uh, the pads kind of slipped in there and they were, they were not plastic or, or what do you want to call fiberglass kind of pads today. These things we talk about, they were hard, stiff pads. Shoulder pads had very little flex to them. The helmets were made, we, we played probably the first year we played with the last year the leather helmets. The Garnet and Gold, as they were known on that night, launched a valiant attack to take an early lead before succumbing 14 to 6. Charles McMillan of Quincy, Florida, hauled in the school's first touchdown catch. Well, everybody was waiting with great anticipation. Most of us were on that first squad were just pickups, group of young men that wanted to play football. Centennial Field was real crowded that night. The stands were filled. A lot of people were there, a lot of excitement because it was the first intercollegiate game in Tallahassee. I mean, after that game, really, I mean, ain't Stetson's just been a thorn in our side for a little while? Yeah, including earlier this week. Yeah. But after that game, I think, you know, the student athletes had a choice they had to make. And uh, they actually selected the Seminoles as the name for the uh, FSU athletics team. But, you know, what some of the, you know, those other names to choose from. And, um, I mean, Hunter, do you, can you think of anything other than the Seminoles that you would have wanted Florida State to have been called? No, I really can't. Well, I mean gonna play a little video because it's a little history like I said back to the future um, and we're gonna see just what they had to choose from so uh, in this video you're gonna see a little bit of history on uh, how the students of Tallahassee and Florida State helped us become no nation known as the garnet and gold for the first game it was realized that Florida State's new team needed an identity. Students suggested names, and soon a list of suggestions had been narrowed to six finalists. Campus gossip had it that the Crackers would win in a cakewalk. Seminoles were the favorite of many, but far from an overwhelming choice. One-fourth of the student body eventually voted on the name, with many doctoring ballots to assure that Seminoles would win. In the end, Seminoles won by a mere 110 votes over statesmen. Wow. What was the first name? Wasn't it the Golden Finches? Yeah, it was the Golden Somethings. That's, there was a bunch of names on there that, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't. I would, I'm grateful I would we went with Seminoles. I'm grateful for that hundred and some who chose Seminoles. Did it say it was kind of a rigged election? I'm grateful for the rigged election. <laughs> yeah, that one not. Yeah. yeah, at least we went in the crackers. Yeah, that would face some flack, yes. Yeah. Uh, but moving on, you know, uh, that was their first season. That was, you know, the name they chose, so. But yeah, you know, the, uh, the the newly named Seminoles would lose all five games that season. Um, but the state had another university playing football, and it was, you know, the University of Florida had a challenger too. Um, Don Beller became Florida State's first full-time head coach in uh, 1948, 
And Florida State also entered their second season of competition as the newest member of the Dixie Conference. And that was a small co uh, college league made up of teams across the Southeast. It was a preview of things to come, and Florida State won their uh, league championship in their first year of the league in 1948, compelling a 7-1 record along the way. And that's that's a big improvement from 0-5 uh, to 7-1. Yeah, if memory serves me right, we stayed in that uh, conference for a while. Yeah. Um, we were, we, you know, Seminoles did remain, you know, for, it was only for two more seasons of what Manoe said, and was, you know, led by, you know, Coach Veller, you know, from 48 to 52. During his first four years of the tenure, you know, the Seminoles wreaked havoc upon, you know, the smaller colleges in the Southeast. You know, they won 32 uh, games in that time span, only lost four. Um, and that included a 19 to six victory over uh, Wolford College in Tampa's Cigar Bowl. I mean, that, that probably wouldn't be a bowl today, but. Um, the Marlboro Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. You know, following the 49 season, you know, that does, it also includes the three Dixie, you know, championships in 48, 49, and 50. But yeah, that. Yeah. You ahead. know, the Florida State, they never lost a conference game during the three years. I was a member of um, that strictly amateur organization that did not follow its members to award athletic sponsorships or scholarships, excuse me. Uh, by 1951, however, Florida State was awarding football scholarships and scheduling lar larger universities' mainstream athletic programs. Uh, consequently, after a 1-8-1 uh, season, it changed coaches. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, it's something I'm going to do. I, I, I go search the web, and I look for, for little things. And... You can say a quote-unquote sponsor. We got our first commercial we're about to air on uh, True Knowles Talk. And uh, for the viewing audience, let's see if there's anybody on here that you dadgum recognize. USA Prime Credit, tell Peggy your problem. Hey, Peggy, I got five dadgum charges here for Miss Priss's Cat Emporium. Dadgum? Now, Peggy, tell me, do, do I sound like a man who'd have five dadgum charges at a Miss Priss's Cat Emporium? You break up, call back next week. I'm not too old to find you, son. Want better customer service? Switch to Discover and get the help you need the first time you call. It pays to Discover. His hands full there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to think, you know, Coach Bowden doing all, all that kind of stuff. I, it was, it was, that's a daggum good one. Yeah, it but, is. But, uh, Hunter, I mean, who's a notable player? you know, during our research that stood out during that decade to you? Yeah, you know, just like they mentioned in the video, um, Ken McLean, he was a he was a trailblazer for the FSU program. You know, McLean played on Florida State's first team in 47, and the Quincy, Florida native played his final three seasons as a Seminole after he uh, started his career as a freshman at UF in 1946. Good decision there. Um, and after making a, a minimal impact on Florida State's 0-5-47 team, McLean became the first standout Florida State running back in 48. And uh, on October 9th, 48, he became the first FSU player to rush for over 100 yards in a game where he amassed 146 rushing yards and two touchdowns in the Knowles' first ever win, a 30 to nothing win over Cumberland. You know, he finished that season with 463 rushing yards and seven touchdowns. And he finished his career with 695 rushing yards, nine rushing touchdowns, and also got some reps at quarterback, defensive back, and as a punter. 
uh, at a school that's come to be known for its superstar players, McLean really, had, I mean, arguably, he's the first one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to think, think about today, really, and think about Jordan Travis, you know, playing defensive back, basically running back and punter. That's a lot yeah. to ask out of a player nowadays. That's a lot, yeah. You know, and, you know, one came to mind for me, you know, and, you know, the FSU program through the years, as y'all are going to see and we're going to show that um, they they fielded a bunch of All-American, you know, players and a lot of honors. But uh, one Seminole, you know, Hugh Adams, you know, has the claim as the first ever FSU football player to be named an All-American. Adams was an offensive lineman for the Seminoles. I believe he's from Punta Gorda. Uh, was named an AP Little All-American in both of his seasons at FSU in 48 uh, and 49. Uh, he arrived at the program that had just gone 0-5 in his first season and helped the Seminoles, you know, to a 16-2 and overall record in his two seasons after transferring from, well, UF, you know, after his career, you know, he spent time as assistant coach uh, at FSU, eventually serving as a, I want to say Charlotte's like superintendent of schools and Broward Community College and all that. But, I mean, really that wraps the 40s up. I mean, all the way up from 1902 to the 40s or to the 50s. Um, Hunter, was there anything that kind of intrigued you about that decade? You know, there's a few things like, um, you know, McElain coming from Quincy and doing what he did, and it just goes to show how big college football has gotten because, you I mean, you think about that point in time, they were getting local boys coming in and playing, you know. And for a local boy, he, he really, for lack of better words, tended to show out, you know, in our first few seasons. And, uh, you, you know, you look at now, we're getting players from Florida, you know, late transfer would be he come all the way from California. So it just goes to show the development and the progression of college football as a whole. And, you know, the talent levels from all over the country. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know just, you know, look back at some of the old video that we, we showed. I mean, they watch a black and black and white film or watch, just a monotone voice call that call a game when we're so used to Gene Deckeroff's voice, you know, that's what stood out to me. But, um, you know, we still got some time, you know, about 10 minutes. Um, Hunter, what's, we're going to go ahead and just hit the topic. What's your thoughts on the, uh, on NIL? That's a loaded question. Um, in my mind, NIL is it's a good but a bad thing at the same time. I mean, you look at a player like Tua at uh, Alabama who essentially got chewed up and spit out uh, in his tenure there. You know, he was injured. They questioned if he'd play football again, you know. A player like him, you know, inevitably he's going to go pro and have a very successful career. But in uh, retrospect, if he would have gotten hurt, you know, there, there goes – what his plans was for his career. So yes, they do deserve some money, but I don't feel like coming straight out of high school, it should be a bidding war. You know, you, you look at DJ at Clemson, he come in and he signed a major deal with Dr. Pepper. And every time I take a drink of one, I kind of giggle because you know, they're not getting his money's worth, but 
I, I think that there should be some sort of a standard there where, if, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll use a, a Travis Hunter, for instance. Okay, signed a million-dollar deal at you know, Jackson State. Great, happy for him. I think if you sign an NIL at a university, you should have to stay there at least three years, and the option of transferring should be taken out because a lot of players are going to use that in the future to sign the big deal at this school. Then they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to go on over here. And, you know, you you take it with, like Mims, you know, I honestly think that uh, Mims would have signed with us because you know they had an NIL li- uh, lined up for him. But I, I think this is taken away from um, from college football. But then again, it could be kind of evening, you know, evening the playing field. Is it depends on who has the most money at the most time gets the best players. So essentially, I think it's really buying a championship. Yeah, I mean, you, you've heard Dion and you've heard Lane and a bunch of them kind of complain about it, saying it's going to be a free agency and whoever's got the most money gets the best players. Me, honestly, and this is just my feel on it. If if I was in control of it, just to be honest, I mean, take what's that boy? Jack, the, he just transferred to Texas. I think his name's name's Ayers. He was a quarterback. Didn't even play a senior year in uh, Texas in high school. Went ahead and enrolled in Ohio State. Didn't win the starting job. Now he's transferred to Texas. You know, and he signed a big NIL deal at uh, Ohio State. Me personally, and just the way I look at it, I believe you should not be able to benefit off your name, image, and likeness for what you've done in high school. Exactly. You should have to play. Now, this is where the kicker is. You should have to play one full season at the university that you sign with before you're even able to be able to say you're going to benefit off your name, image, and likeness. You know, and then you look at that, you know, yeah, okay, after your first season, then you can get an NIL deal because you've proven yourself to earn that money. But some players that, you know, get their feelings hurt and you go, oh, I'm going to transfer. Well, then the NCAA in my book needs to do away with that one-time free transfer and make it to where you have to sit out a year. And then whatever college you go to, you have to sit that year out before you can sign another NIL deal. Me, personally, I think that would make these players be more loyal to the universities that are offering them the scholarships and the opportunity to get their name and image and likeness out there to benefit from it instead of, you know, playing, you know, like the old saying, me and me and you used to hear all the time when we work together. It, oh, he got his, his feelings hurt. He threw his sucker in the dirt. You yep. know, that way they would be, you know, they'd have to make that business decision, you know, and then that year that they have to sit out, before they can sign that NIL deal, they're learning the playbook of the new staff if they transferred. They're building relationships with the team instead of coming in there acting like, you know, they're a multimillionaire and ain't got to do nothing. I mean, that's just me. Honestly, that's the way that I would fix it, really. Yeah, and I also think with the NIL deal, these kids getting all this money, it's going to cause them to get in trouble. And, I mean, Hope not, but I mean, you know, I kind of made a joke earlier about the Florida player who got pulled over to 100 some miles an hour in one of his, you know, cars by one of his NIL sponsors. It's it's going to get someone hurt because a kid is 18 years old. And the majority, and I won't say all of them, the majority of them are not mature enough to manage that much money. You're you're right. There's going to be tax, you know, implications and stuff. And really, I don't see if you got a kid making a million dollars, you know. 
honestly, I don't think the, the university, if you're going to go out here and sign that big of a deal, the university should not be, you know, reliable or responsible for, for your scholarship. Yep, exactly. You know, because, I mean, I'm in college, I'm having to pay for mine and, you know, having to get loans and stuff like that. But if I'm out there making a million dollars on just my name, I should be able to afford it. Yep. But, you know, it is what it is on that one. It's going to, and the reason I brought that up was, I seen today were um, Rising Spear and was it Warpath eight five zero merged mm-hmm. together, so that that's a good one. And also, I mean, I know me and one of my buddies in the past had a little bit of a a falling out before I, you know, before me and you, Hunter, got the uh, idea of True Knowles Talk, and that's Chris Frazier. They just started their own. NIL thing with his with his uh, group and another couple groups that added in with him, but um, there's a lot of legal implications with that, and one of them, me and you talked about it. You know, a, a booster can't be a part of the NIL thing because then you're paying the the players as a booster. Mm-hmm. But I mean, other than that, I mean, what what's kind of your final thoughts on everything right now? What, um, what you looking this series. To? Yeah, you know, this series we're doing, Back to the Future, uh, you know, it's just like Doke. It was built one brick at a time. So once we get past, well, the 40s now and the 50s, once we get past this, it's going to be more uh, fan-related players you you know, you know about, and uh, you may learn a few things about them. And I'm really looking forward to getting to the uh, the dynasty years of the 90s and the 2000s and just, just looking forward to learning, you know, more about this team myself because you know I haven't followed since 2013 is when I started following the teams there there's a whole lot of areas and informations you know that I, I don't know about the team that I'm learning whenever I do my research and presenting it to y'all as well so I'm looking forward to that I'm looking forward to a, a great softball series this weekend and hopefully a great baseball series this weekend too yeah yeah um both are on the road ain't they no the girls at home no we're at NC State so NC State, the boys are at Boston College. And then we got Jacksonville and Miami coming up. And then I think that's it at home for the boys. I think we play in or North Carolina. I don't know if it's home or away. But I'm looking forward to just the great things. And like you said about the whole back to the future thing, um, it's a great, you know, it's, it gives everybody knowledge, especially us. You know, there's yeah. stuff about – Florida State, I didn't know. But, um, you know, I do want to say one thing, and this is about thing. You know, the, the little logo you see right right there. Right there in the right middle. There. Yeah, right, right there. Right in the middle. Yeah, um, that was created by um, a web company that I actually run. Um, it's called a JR's Web Designs. Um, if anybody that's watching the show wants to contact me to – license that image out to put on a shirt i would gladly do it um but you know we there's a i would even do it for free for some people you know if they're not trying to rip me off and steal my stuff but other than that um like i said uh we're gonna come out with some merchandise one day but that's not in the foreseeable future for us because we're just trying to get good content out but um guys Go follow us, like us, share us, invite your friends. I think we're sitting at like 720-something members now, which is a great thing. I'm very 
happy and proud of that, and I believe Hunter is too. I'm um, over the moon, and you think about it, we've gained over 200 members in a month. I mean, it, it's it's growing. We're we're excited about it every day. We're we're chatting. Oh, look, we got 14 new members in the group. You know, we can't wait to put out our welcome post next week. So, guys, y'all keep doing what you're doing. We we really appreciate you growing our group. Yeah, we we sure do. And guys, like always, you know, uh, join the climb. You know, become unconquered. And uh, until next time, see y'all. Uh, see you next time down the road. Go Knowles. Go Knowles.